like to speak to you all for just a few minutes. I won't be super long, um, but I do feel like God has given us something for this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. How many of you have heard this verse before? It's a good verse. All things work together for good. But when we, when we read this verse, I think sometimes if we take this zoomed out approach and we take a closer look at it, this verse, is, it's impressive that this verse exists because this verse was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that was at Rome. So just to give you some backstory here really quick, Rome was the most influential power of its day. And typically, Rome was doing the influencing. It wasn't a, a nation that was going to be influenced. It was going to be the one that was putting out the literature, putting out the influence. And so the fact that a church existed at Rome was just amazing. It really was. And we can read this and we can be like, hey, it's the church at Rome. But really, the fact that God had put a church in Rome was impressive. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you why. Here's a little bit of a backstory on Rome. Beginning in the 8th century BC, ancient Rome grew from a small town on central Italy's Tiber River into an empire that at its peak encompassed most of Europe, Britain, and much of Asia, northern Africa, and the entire Mediterranean region. Rome gave us things like the Italian language, the French language, the Spanish language, the Portuguese and Romanian language, all of which were de derived from Roman Latin. We have a modern Western alphabet, a calendar, and Christianity as a world religion, all because of what Rome did as a country. Rome became a symbol of power like the Hellenistic Greeks before them. Rome did not just want to conquer a land, but it wanted to take over a new land and then assimilate that territory into Roman culture. It wasn't just trying to just conquer and destroy and leave. It was trying to conquer and assimilate into the Roman culture. And it wanted to take the citizens of the conquered land and turn them into Roman citizens. It, Rome wanted the citizens to act like Romans, to think like Romans, to pay taxes like Romans. And, and, and in doing this, when they grew their empire, it didn't just expand their empire, it also took away their enemies because then their enemies became part of them and there was nobody left to fight. And so this would only be possible, Rome did this very intentionally, but it would only be possible if the conquered territories had direct access to Rome, if they had direct access to Roman culture and to Roman thought processes, Roman leadership. And so how, how could Rome do this? How could Rome take over this, this vast amount of land and yet assimilate the culture into itself? And you may have guessed, but my title on this slide is The Roads of Rome. And so what Rome did is they started building a vast road network. And Evan Andrews wrote an article about eight ways roads helped Rome rule. And I'm just gonna give you a quick overview of those eight things. The, Rome, uh, the Roman roads were the key to the military, right, military might of the Romans. They were incredibly efficient. They were expertly engineered. They were easy to navigate. They included a sophisticated network of houses and inns. They were well protected and patrolled. And they allowed the Romans to fully map their growing empire. And they were built to last. If you can throw that next slide up there. Here's a picture of a few of the Roman roads today. And these photos show that thousands of years later... The Roman roads still exist, and they were built, built so efficiently and so well that you can still go and walk on these same roads 2,000 years later. They need to have these guys head out into Kansas and work on the roads over there because those about a 10-year lifespan if we're lucky out. Missouri. 
it's all the salt, right? That's what they tell me. It's the salt on the roads. It's potholes. I don't know. It's still, I had to replace tie rod ends on my truck from hitting potholes in the roads. And uh, the Roman roads are just hanging out over there, looking like, looking like they're still ready to use. Um, but the Roman roads, while praised for their, des- their design, their architecture, um, and their efficiency by historians, they were seen as a sign of oppression to the countries who were conquered by the Romans. Because the Romans would build these roads into this new conquered area, and, and immediately following it would be the architecture, the entertainment, the taxation, the leadership, the culture of Rome would come into the new area, it would transform the area, and all of a sudden it just looked like a mini outpost of Rome everywhere that these roads went. And so the people who were conquered, they did not like the Roman roads. They didn't like what they represented, and they didn't like what they brought. And this Roman setting of oppression, dominion, and indoctrination is the backdrop for the entire New Testament. Every verse you read in the New Testament has the backdrop of Roman culture trying to assimilate it into itself, which gives you kind of this this broad landscape of what Rome was after. And so from the beginning of Matthew in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is born into a land that was heavily oppressed, heavily taxed, and heavily influenced by Roman culture. King Herod was set up as a proxy ruler over Judea and worked with his Roman overlords to change the culture of God's people away from religion and towards modern beliefs. The roads that Rome built all throughout that area were not welcomed by the inhabitants and were a constant struggle of a culture war between Rome and between the, uh, between the Israeli people. And so one of the most ominous roads that actually you can still see today um, that represent this Roman viewpoint of indoctrination and occupation can be seen in the Masada Desert. Yeah, I, I, me and Pastor Dornbach have been there on top of that. <laughs> I almost didn't say it, but then I was like, what are we doing here if I don't? Masada is a desert fortress that was built by King Herod around the time of Jesus' birth. It stands high atop a mountain, and it overlooks the Judean desert. After the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, thousands of Jewish rebels and refugees ran and sought fortress in Masada and made their final stand against a Roman army that was coming to completely wipe off the Jewish people from the face of that area. The fortress was so difficult to reach that an army of 10,000 Roman soldiers and prisoners could not penetrate to get to the top to actually finish the battle against the Jewish people who were up there. And so the, the Jewish people were trapped in this Masada fortress while the Romans were just waiting for them to come down at the bottom. So the Romans, knowing that they couldn't get up into the fortress, decided that they would build an encampment. And that's what that picture you see that looks like a piece of cinnamon toast crunch zoomed in. Real mature, my bad. Um, that is actually a Roman fortress, and it's viewed from the top of Masada. So, so when, the, when, the rebel, when the rebel Jews would, would stand up and they would look out, and they would look out at the, at the uh, Roman army, they would see out in the distance, they would see that Roman encampment, and they would know that, man, we can't come down from here, because if we do, they're going to destroy us. But Rome took it a step further. So if you look at the other picture underneath, you actually see this road that runs all the way across, and that road runs all the way across the desert to a spring. And so what the Roman soldiers would do is they would take Jewish prisoners of war and they would have them carry water back and forth across this road. And if for some reason the water was spilled, if for some reason um, 
the prisoner became too weak to carry on, the Romans would actually kill the prisoner in front of the rebels who were up there watching. And they did this for a real specific reason. They wanted the people who were on Masada to know that if for some reason you, you stop standing your ground, if for some reason you come down this road of carrying water, this is what your fate will be. And you know, when you think about this story and you think about the, the opposition and the oppression that this road represented, there's a spiritual application that can be made for us today with all of these Roman roads. And our own walk with God, it can seem almost impossible at times to make a stand for God and protect our families from culture invasion that has been launched against the church and godly lifestyles. The enemy of our soul has taken painstaking steps to ensure that roads to sin are easily accessible and run right through our everyday lives. Has anybody ever driven the Los Angeles, California freeways? I hear Houston is another acceptable answer if you've driven through Houston. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you. Uh, driving through the Los Angeles freeways will make you never want to drive again. Um, as, as you're driving down, you will just be driving on a freeway. Say you're, you're on the I-5 and you're just driving straight. And uh, all of a sudden, when you come into the city, you have about 50 options of branches to turn on. You can take a left-hand lane exit. You can take a right-hand lane exit. You can go over these massive overpasses. You can take a wrong turn and end up in a really bad part of the city that you can't get out of. Like, it's insane when you come into a city. There's just so many roads, and there's just so much. It's overwhelming for a lot of people. Even, even with the GPS and Google Maps, it gets confusing because even if you stay straight, for some reason, the roads just, they just change their name, and it's just you went from 5 to 72 or something. I don't know. It's just crazy when you drive through there. And, and it's like if you don't know exactly where you're going, I promise you, you're not going to accidentally get there. You're not. You're not going to get lucky. You won't. You will end up somewhere in Inglewood, and you won't know what's happening. And you know what? It, it reminds me of life in our own life. You know, we're not going to accidentally live the right way and follow Jesus in everything that we do. It's not going to happen. There are too many roads and too many inroads and too many things that can distract us in this life that if we're not focused exactly on where we're going with Jesus, I promise you, we're not going to take the right path. There's just too many options. And so it's no wonder that Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 talked about living for him in this way. Verses seven, uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow gate. Narrow the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide. Everybody say wide. For the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and very difficult, and only a few ever find it. That is, that is ominous. Jesus is telling, no doubt, Jesus is probably standing very close to a Roman road at this point. They were all over the place, and he's teaching his followers, and he's saying, very few are going to find the right way to live. But over here, there's this broad way. It's, it's just, it's broad. And it, almost everybody's just going to walk down this path and just naturally follow it. And you know what? The road to sin in this world, they're inviting. The roads to sin, that, that, they're all around us. It's inviting. They're expertly crafted, extremely efficient. They're very good at their purpose. But you know what? Jesus, and this is a reminder today, Jesus has called us to not walk on those roads. Jesus has called us to live a life that's separate, that's called out, that's different. And he's called us to be on a path that's straight and narrow. And I'm thankful this morning that we live in a in a and a community that has a church like this that we can come to because you know what? We are blessed to have the way and to have the truth of God in our lives. Can I get an amen on that this morning? 
because very few find it, and I'm thankful that we do. The laws and cultural norms of the United States of America at one point closely mirrored the laws of the Word of God. They really did. This nation was founded on the Word of God, and so you could theoretically just follow the laws of the nation and be very closely aligned with the Bible and the way that it viewed things. But that is no longer the case. Society has drifted further and further away from the Word of God. And so what that means is that means the road that we're walking now sometimes is in direct opposition to the road that society is traveling. And that can be a difficult path at times. It really can. It's no coincidence that media, social networks, leaders in our society can seem to be under the influence of an evil force looking to bring the culture and influence of an antichrist spirit into our daily life. It's no different than what the Romans tried to do in the first century. Divide and conquer, influence and change, confuse and then educate. Sounds pretty familiar with a lot of the things that we go up against in today's society as a Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 gives us this teaching and tells us a little bit about what's going on in the spiritual realm, kind of behind the scenes, so to speak, in our struggle to walk the straight and narrow path that Jesus has called us to walk. It says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. You can go a long way living for God if you just have that attitude. Uh, we're just not going to give up. Like it, it's, my, it's not looking good today. I don't have the answers, but I'm not going to give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, everybody say the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And we know there is an attempt in this world to deceive and to blind the minds of those individuals who would be trying to find the gospel of Christ. We are so blessed this morning to have the truth, to have the word of God, and to have it in our hearts. And we can't take it for granted. We can't just say, eh, it's fine. It's the Bible. We always go to church on Sundays. No, we got to hold on to what we have in this place. We do. We've got to honor it. We've got to read the word of God. We've got to have a relationship with him because as this world progresses, it's going to be more and more important for us to know where we stand so that way others who are looking for the gospel of Christ can find it through us. But in the New Testament, there was a, there was a very intentional way that the Romans would try to bring their culture into society. And they would try to use their roads, and they'd bring in their architects, and they would bring in their, their building materials, and they'd bring in their resources, and they would do it very intentionally. And they would try to build things to turn the minds of the people away from their current culture. If you can throw that next slide up there. This is a, this is a theater in Caesarea, which is in Israel. And I know my wife tells me, nobody cares about geography. But I'm going to tell you guys, just in case you do care, uh, this is in northern Israel. And in case you're wanting, northern Israel is where, like, the farmers are at. It's not, it's not like this center of, uh, I don't know, where people might want to hang out and party and have a good time. It's, it's not a place you would typically suspect a theater to be. Why would a nation like Rome take all of the time, all of the resources, all of the infrastructure, and build a massive theater in a place that it's just, nobody's really going to see it that much. It's not going to be that impressive. 
You know, we're not talking about like downtown by the Kaufman Center or anything. This is like, I don't know, this is like in the outskirts of Smithville Lake or something to give you some comparison. It actually kind of is, really, because there's a lake out there somewhere. Um, so why, why would they do this? Why would they build this theater out there? It was intentional. The Romans had learned from Alexander the Great before them. A theater was a way of introducing foreign gods into a new territory. So adamant were the Romans that the conquered Jewish people go to this theater that they would actually pay them to come in and to watch a show and to hear about the gods that were being introduced to them. How crazy is that? Somebody just walked up, we'll, we'll pay you, just go hear what this theater has to say. And it, it's well documented, the Jewish rabbis of the day would teach their people and would tell them, don't go to the theater. They would tell them, we have the Bible, we have the book, they have the theater. You can only have one in your life. You can't have both of those influences in your life. And so when you see this, you see how intentional the Romans were about indoctrinating the places that they had conquered. And you know what? I remember. I'm getting older. <laughs> no, I'm probably old, but regardless of where I fall on the spectrum. I remember when I was younger, say 20 plus years ago, uh, when you could go to church and a new piece of technology would come out or a new, a new place would open in town and you knew, man, you knew the preacher was going to get up and preach about that specific technology or that specific place and say, you know, don't go here. It's going to influence you and it's going to lead you to hell, right? It was clean and it was easy because there just wasn't a whole lot going on. And if that happened, it was just, it was easy. That's not the way that the world works anymore. The inroads to sin are so complex and they're so diverse. They're everywhere. You can't, you can't just come up and have somebody preach against every single thing that's sin. We'd have to go hide under a rock because sin is everywhere now. The roads that the enemy has built into society to introduce things that are harmful to our soul, it's, it's unbelievable. And no doubt, as a youth pastor, I'm finding out like every day, like I didn't even know this, some of this stuff existed. Like I didn't even know some of this technology and some of these social media things. And then it's unbelievable how much the web and the network of things that can come into our life and how complex it is. And you know what? It's not without intention. It's really not. The struggle between what is right and wrong has never been more gray. It really hasn't. Right is wrong. Wrong is praised. And if you speak out against sin, you're going to get canceled. That's pretty much the society that we live in today. And so when you're thinking about all of this and you're navigating this and you're like, I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to do what's right. It has never been more complex and the challenge for us is to keep our eyes on the word of God and, the eye, and our eyes on Jesus. Because you know what? Society is not going to lead you to him. But he won't lead you astray if you're focused on him. Amen. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17. Oh, one of the best verses ever. And I am not even going to try to do this justice. We need an organ. We need somebody with a deeper voice than me. And we need to get after it. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it to you. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And the righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. We hear this verse all the time. And we hear it. And sometimes we might even say it. I've honestly prayed it. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Mm, a flat. Mm, no, 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 no. But you know what? Sometimes we take this verse out of context completely. We do. Because it, it doesn't say that no weapon is going to be formed against you. 
It doesn't. Like, I, I, I know, you guys probably figured it out the first time you read it, but I did not. And so I was like, God, there's, there's things that are coming against me, coming against my family, coming against us. And you said no weapon's going to prosper, but I don't know what you define prosper as, but this looks like it's prospering. Has anybody ever felt that way, or is it just me? And you know what? This ver- it doesn't tell us that a weapon is not going to be formed. And just like the Jewish people in Masada who are standing up there and they're watching this road being built and they're watching this encampment that's eventually going to be used to destroy them, sometimes it feels like that when you're living for God. You're like, I can see the weapon being formed and it looks really efficient and it is causing me a lot of frustration and I don't know how I'm going to overcome this current situation that I'm in. And it's one thing to trust God when there's like no weapons around, the enemy's not in your ear and everything's just going well. It's easy to trust God like that. What's not easy to trust God is when you have the accuser of the brethren in your ear reminding you of your sin, reminding you of the condemnation that you should be feeling, reminding you of your history, of the guilt, of your record of failure, the reality of your current family situation or, or, or any of this stuff. And that weapon is right there in your face. And now you're like... It's not going to prosper, but it feels like it is. The Roman road seemingly brought the final destruction of the nation of Judah. In 70 CE, what was left of those, of those nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Israel, was burned to the ground, and the residents were sent into diaspora or exile. There would be no Jewish or Israeli state on this planet for the next 1,900 years after Rome was through with them. They would use their roads to come in. They would light fires to the holy places. And Rome decided, we can't get these people to assimilate into our culture, so we're just going to burn this whole region to the ground. And that is exactly what they did. To the Jewish people who denied Jesus, it seemed like God's plan to have a certain people represent him on earth had completely failed. However, in the midst of all this confusion, we read about a resurrected Jesus with a small group of followers on a hillside in Galilee in Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 through 19. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came out and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teach, them, teach these disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know this passage. We've heard this lots of times. But in that setting, imagine that setting. Israel is, it's burning. It's burning all over the place. It's just a few short years away from not even existing anymore. Romans are everywhere. The roads are in there. And it looks like evil has won. But Jesus, with just a few of his followers, is like, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly where I want to be. This is exactly like I drew it up. And it reminds me of that story in Genesis 50, where where God takes what was meant for evil and turns it around and uses it for good. It wasn't a big group of people. It wasn't a fierce battle. And if we don't look at the context, sometimes we forget just everything that was going on. But those few disciples would take up that great commission, and they would walk out. And guess what, guys? They would walk out on Roman roads. They would use Roman waterways. They would use Roman buildings, Roman infrastructure, and they would take the gospel from a small group to tens of thousands of people across all of the networks that Rome thought they had influenced, across all of the countries that Rome thought that they had control of, and they would carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no doubt, 
No doubt some of us in this room are impacted by that same group of people that went out. I don't know how the whole spiritual lineage works, but I hope they've kept track of it in heaven so we can talk about it when we get there. But the theaters, they would become a preaching ground for the gospel of Jesus. The bathhouses would be used for baptisms in Jesus' name. The Roman courtrooms would become testimony halls to the power of Jesus. Ultimately, the Roman rulers themselves would convert to Christianity. And the roads and culture that Rome built would fade away, go away into history. Only when somebody randomly Googles what do Roman roads look like, does somebody actually see what the Roman roads look like here in the U.S. But God allowed all of those things to be built so that his purpose would be even more glorious. It reminds me in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples were, were coming together. They were talking to Jesus, and Jesus is, is resurrected. He's about to ascend up into heaven, and the disciples still didn't get it, which I can relate to them because sometimes people have to tell me things like 10 times before I get it. But they're still thinking about themselves and their small problems, and they're thinking about their nation, and they're thinking about, hey, hey you know, what's, what are you going to do about my situation? And they asked Jesus, and they said, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again to kingdom, the kingdom to Israel? They were, they were kind of small-minded. They were like, when are you going to kick the Romans out of this area so that we can have our country back? That's what they were thinking. And Jesus was like, you know, he, he was thinking thousands of years later. Maybe he was thinking about a church in, in Liberty, Missouri. Like, man, I'm going to spread the gospel so far. It actually it doesn't even, those small problems are just going to be stepping stones for what I'm going to do in the long run. And I wonder if sometimes we're the same way. You know, we, we can get really hung up on our own problems sometimes. I'm just talking about myself. I'm sure you guys probably aren't as bad about this as I am. Um, but you can get focused on what's in front of you, the challenges, the difficulties, the situations. And it seems unfair. It seems, it seems like, God, the, the enemy has built these roads right into my life. And now I just, I just can't help but wonder, when are you going to deliver me from all of this occupation and all of this all of this stuff that I'm fighting with and all of this stuff that I'm dealing with and I'm struggling with the fact that society has made it so hard to live for you sometimes and my family's not where I want it to be and my ministry's not where I want it to be and God I wonder if this is going to be the end for me right like I wonder if I can even go forward with this and just like those Roman those Roman roads that come in and just they, they met occupation and dominion for the people who saw them being built. Sometimes in a spiritual sense, we can feel like that too. We can just feel overwhelmed with what the enemy has put in front of us and with what society has done. And you know what? I just have to recognize and I just have to think that I've got, I've got to keep my eyes on you and I've got to keep moving forward. But you know what? In society, there are three very influential mediums that I want to highlight that the enemy has used to pave strongholds into our nation and into our into our society the first one is our school system and uh, right now in the US some of the most contested spiritual battles for the souls of our nation takes place in public schools and universities it's common for evolution which was contrary to biblical truth and normalizing sin to be taught to our children from a very young age and I feel like it's getting worse at a rapid pace God has been removed from our school system, and an antichrist agenda is placed before our children on a daily basis. And not just our children, our teens, our young adults going into universities. This continues throughout high school, all the way through, 
all the way through the college system. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Ivy League schools, when they were first founded on the East Coast, most of them, they were, their first priority was actually salvation. And then from that, then it was to educate. But they wanted, they, they would put out pastors and preachers and ministers, and then they would put out doctors and lawyers. Like, they had their priorities very straight when they, were, when they were created. I can assure you that the school system is not that way anymore, but that's how it was created. And if we think that that system is not a spiritual battle, that we're wrong, first off. That is a deep spiritual battle, and it is an opportunity for us going forward to pray for our public school systems and to pray for our universities, because it is a bleak situation for a Christian young person to walk into that environment. And it looks like, just like those Roman roads, it looks like it is going to do nothing but bring a cultural problem for years and years to come as the Antichrist agenda is just flooding down these roads and into society. However, if you can throw that next slide up there, a few years ago, and it's been, oh man, it's actually been a while for some of these ministries. Uh, the United Pentecostal Church started something that is called Project 7 Clubs and Campus Ministry. So for those of you who don't know, a Project 7 Club is where an apostolic young person will actually go into their campus. They will get approval from the, from the school administration, which is not always easy. And they will actually start a Bible club on their campuses. And we have a few people here who have done that in the past, and we definitely honor them for that. And through these P7 Clubs, apostolic young people will actually go into these very difficult environments, which I could not do at 14, 15 years old. I couldn't, but these guys are doing it all across the U.S. There's over 100 Project 7 clubs right now, and they're going into these schools, and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? People are being filled with the Holy Ghost. People are being baptized in Jesus' name, and the gospel is being spread through these schools. In fact, a friend of mine a couple weeks ago shared a... Uh, shared a photo of somebody who was at one of the local junior camps. I think it might have been like a, like a junior high camp, actually. And it was his first junior high camp. And he came, and he had been filled with the Holy Ghost. He'd been baptized in Jesus' name through a P7 club. And he came, he actually got camper of the year at his camp. You know what? There is a whole generation of apostolic young people that is going to come from a road that looks like it's meant only for evil. God's ready to reverse that course, and he's ready to put the gospel into our schools again. I believe it in Jesus' name. And that's the same thing with Campus Ministry International. They're doing great things. It's just the same as a P7 club, but it's on our, it's on our college campuses. And guys, I'll tell you, if you're a young person, if you're, if, you're going to, if you're going back to school in your 40s, I'm still, I've been in school my whole life. Um, it doesn't matter. There is an opportunity on these campuses because if you step out in faith, I promise you there'll be spiritual opposition. There really is going to be deep spiritual opposition. But God is looking at that, and he's not seeing the overwhelming agenda that's put against him. He's saying that is an opportunity for me to change a city, to change a world, and to share the gospel. And I'm thankful for that. One of the other big mediums where you see what seems like a super highway of influence that how could God be in it <laughs> is in sports. And I'll tell you guys, I am a huge sports fan. I'm not up here going to be like, sports are bad because that ain't me. I'm all about it. Um, however, a lot of the sports teams that I follow lately are using their platforms to promote sin. And I'm not talking about social justice. The month of June was brutal. I'm a huge California sports fan, and uh, they're just openly promoting biblical sin. 
And you know what? Every time sports arena doors are open, a lifestyle that does not line up with the word of God is promoted. Basketball arenas with 20,000 plus people at one time, football arenas that can hold up to 70,000 people at one time are open and they seem like massive super highways of influence towards drunkenness and moral compromise. If you've ever been to a sporting event, you know what I'm talking about. However, when the owners of those teams were building those arenas, I'm pretty confident their number one priority was making money, which I'm not against making money, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that's what they were thinking of when they were building these arenas. What I don't think they were thinking about is that God could use those arenas for something other than what it was intended for. And in my life, I've been blessed. These are just a few pictures of, of some of the events that I've been to. And that small one up in the, your right-hand corner is in Oklahoma City. And that is the, uh, where the Oklahoma City Thunder play basketball. And that arena was filled a few years ago with 25,000 young people who didn't just come to fill it just to say that they could fill it. But they came, and there was an outpouring of God's presence like I have never felt in my life in that place. And from that event, from that event, thousands of people have been impacted by the gospel. There are people who are preaching the gospel today because of that event. There are people who have been, whose lives have been transformed in our own youth group from that event. And you know what? The one next to it was even bigger. That's actually at uh, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, a football arena, which is very large host almost 40,000 young people a few years ago. And I can't help but think that, you know what? The enemy probably thought that these arenas were never going to be used for anything but influence for a lifestyle that was not conducive to God's word. But I just want to remind somebody that before this is over, those arenas will be filled on a continual basis with people who are going to be seeking God's presence. And what looks like evil, God is going to use for good in this country. Because what looks like evil, it is evil, but God can turn it around whenever he feels like it and use it for good. And I'm thankful that I get to be part of the church, the church, the global church that God's going to use for a mighty revival in this end time. And then the, the third obvious largest media medium that uh, influences the world today is media. Social media and live video have long been a source of ungodly content to say the least and it has been debated in the church community about whether or not those things should be used to communicate the gospel and we can spend a lot of time talking about the debate on all of that but in march of 2020 the pandemic closed the doors of apostolic churches across the country and across the world and it looked like at that time that the gospel was going to be greatly hindered and that our communities and that our our congregations were going to fall away from God and not be able to hear the gospel preached to them. But however, during that time, it forced churches to start looking at things a different way and, and to start being creative with some different things. And so live stream and social media sharing became the norm among the church community. In fact, if you, if you woke up on a Sunday morning and you checked Facebook, you would be bombarded with about a thousand church streams as you were just trying to navigate the waters of social media because everybody all of a sudden was live streaming and uh what, what looks like a medium that in the past had just been used for evil all of a sudden god opened the eyes and the hearts of people to say hey you know what there's an opportunity here yeah. statistics are hard to hard to gather and they're still coming in but it's estimated that as a result of the pandemic and things going to live stream that over 16 million americans who do not attend church 
watched at least one live stream service. How crazy is that? 16 million Amer- I, I can do a lot of things for the kingdom, but I don't know that I will ever reach 16 million people. And yet that's what, that's what God did with live stream and with, with uh, what looked like an evil situation where church doors weren't going to be opened any longer. All of a sudden, God's like, wait a minute, here's an opportunity. Here's something I can use this medium for. And I can take this road that has just consistently been used for evil and I can turn it around and I can reach 16 million people in a short amount of time to hear the gospel. And I'm closing as the musicians can come on up here. But today, I don't know what you're up against. I really don't. And I don't know what roads that seem impossible to overcome that the enemy has paved right into your life and put right on your doorstep that you've got to look at every single day when you wake up. But I do know that if you trust in him and if you look for him, he can look at that road and he can look at that situation that's, that's in your life. And what maybe you've been praying about something for, for years. Maybe you've been praying about situations and you just feel kind of hopeless in it. And you're just like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to follow the, the, the path that you've set before me. But it just feels like I keep getting off on this wrong road because it's, it's there and it's easy. And honestly, all my friends are on it, right? And it can feel overwhelming at times. But you know what? I just want to remind somebody that whatever road is in your life that is causing you a struggle and it feels like opposition and it feels like dominion and it feels like you're never going to overcome it, in a service like today, God can reverse the course of that road and he can spin it around and he can work something that looks like evil in your life and he can work it in one of the most powerful testimonies that you have ever heard and it can come from your experience. As we stand together, maybe you're here and you have never been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You've never been baptized in Jesus' name. And you hear us talking about roads and all of this stuff. And you're like, I want an experience with God, but I don't know how to get closer to him. You know what? His word told us that if you're baptized in his name and you're filled with his spirit, that he's going to lead you. And if you're here and that's you, I would encourage you. You can get baptized today. You can come down here and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And the road that you walk out of here can be completely different. It can be blessed and you can have a life with an amazing future as God leads it. And maybe you're here and you're, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You're baptized in Jesus' name. You've been walking this way for a while. You're frustrated by the way that society is and you feel the weight of that challenge, but you know you're on the right road and you know that you're doing your best. Guess what? Today, I feel like God needs those people to come to the front here in a little bit and to start praying that he would reverse some of the things that are going on in society. If you got nothing to pray about, I pray, come down here with some holy boldness and start praying for our schools. Start praying for our community. Start praying into your family. Look into the darkness and speak some light this morning because you know what? God honors those prayers and he's ready to take what's going on right here in society. Take what's going on in the city of Liberty and I believe he's ready to start using those inroads and start using them to grab people and bring them into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you find a place to pray this morning? for just a few minutes before we're dismissed.